content on this production is for entertainment and informational purposes only. It is not medical advice, nor is it intended to substitute medical treatment or diagnosis. Seek medical help if you believe that you are suffering from a mental illness or are a threat to yourself or others. By using any or all of the information provided, you do so at your own risk. Any application of the material is at the listener's discretion and is his or her sole responsibility. I think that we could all agree that the last year, two years, two and a half years for some have been quite the roller coaster from COVID and its fury to the unrest in Washington to the violence across America from from citizens and the police. There has been many things that could cause us to kind of step out of where we're at and look at things and kind of be depressed or anxious or overwhelmed. I think it's important for us at this kind of crossroads of a new year to really begin to look back. Look back at the last year or two and and take inventory of the good things that happen. And you may say today, well, Dr. Brian, there's not a lot of good that has taken place in my life in the last year or two years. And and I would say if you really begin to take a step back and look, you will find that in the midst of trouble, in the midst of trial, of anxiety, of the midst of even depression, that there was some point in time where something good happened. And it may on the radar even look kind of minuscule, but there is something there, something that is good. So often we look at the bad stuff and and we can't find the good. It's not being able to find the forest for the trees that we really, the bad outweighs the good. And there's a psychology fact that, that says that it takes five positive affirmations to deplete one negative. Now think about that. Whatever somebody may take in as a negative, it will take five positive affirmations before they let go of that negative. So as we begin in this new year, let's make some commitment to ourselves, whether it be that we decide that, hey, we're going to start journaling and we're only going to write the good stuff in the journal. You say, well, Doc Brian, my, my journal may be blank. No, 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 no. There are good things that happen to us every day. If we just are able to stop, to breathe, to think, we will find something good in that day. Everybody, Doc Brian here, and welcome to Doc Talks, where we talk about people's troubles, trials, tribulations, and hopefully triumphs of life. And I just want to say Happy New Year. Let's talk about New Year's resolutions here. Most of us make New Year's resolutions, and if you're like me, you may resolve to complete the resolution that you did last year. Uh, for instance, I made a resolution to lose 30 pounds this year, and I only have 45 more to go. But don't 
you may, you'll get that on the way home. Anyway, uh, despite the best of intentions, uh, once the freshness, the newness, if you will, of the new year kind of wears off, most of us struggle to make uh, good on our resolutions. There was a study that was published in the Journal of Clinical Psychology, and it it stated that only 46% of people who made New Year's resolutions were successful. So over half of the people that set a goal for New Year's failed. This also involved non-resolvers, people who did not make any New Year's resolution at all, but they had a goal that they wanted to achieve, and only 4% of non-resolvers were successful in uh, achieving their goal. So obviously most of us want to be in that camp of being someone who can keep their new year's resolutions. So I wanted to give you a couple of things today to help. The first thing is that we need to mentally prepare. Uh, everything starts with being mentally prepared. Changing our habits is not an easy task. So it's important for us to kind of step back and get ready for this change. So the first thing that we must do is take a personal inventory, uh, being that it's the end of the year, the beginning of the next, it's the perfect time uh, to take stock in our accomplishments. What did we set out to do this past year? Where did we make progress? Where didn't we see progress? And so we want to start to implement those changes. So we've got to try to stay positive, try not to make big, quick changes and build on smaller changes, but also allow a little room for error. We also should set a goal that motivates us, something that we really want to do. It's nice to have some external support, but if you don't have that same passion, there's a small chance of success. And it could be dead upon arrival. So to do this, you need to set a goal that is important to you and only you. And that there is value or benefit to you in achieving this goal. It is these two things that will provide the reason and willingness to take action. That's also known as motivation. So it's a safe bet if you align your resolutions with your goals, your priorities, your dreams, your aspirations, that you can succeed because it is something that motivates you. The other thing is that we've got to make sure that our resolution is manageable. One of the things is that we want to set these huge, big goals that that may not even be attainable. So, A couple of things. Place the topics that you feel strongly about on the wall. Look at those. Put the topics you feel hmm, about on the bottom. And spend a lot of time thinking about the order of these resolutions. Now, we got to know our limitations. And with that in mind, you should focus on your top priorities while balancing how much attention you can honestly devote to a resolution. So we've got to make sure that it's manageable. The other thing I think about the acronym that was that was given called SMART. The first part of SMART is the S specific. We need to be able to articulate the resolution as clear as possible. So for instance, if we want to be more healthy, we would say we need to cut out fast food. So we're very specific. So that leads us to the M measurable that we... Uh, somehow quantify 
our resolution. I will lose 5% of my body weight or 10% of my body weight so that we, we have a measurable goal. Then we've got to make sure that we can attain it, the SMART, the A. And so we've got to look at something that is reasonable, but still challenging. You know, making a hundred new connections this year would be amazing, but probably would be hard to do. And on the other hand, you know, finding 10 new friends is, is doable. And then the R is relevant. Keep it relevant to your goals and priorities. We'll look back at our motivation. What is really motivating us? And then T is time sensitive. Give yourself a time frame to achieve a goal. A, a deadline will instill some urgency and provide a time when you can celebrate your success, uh, particularly if you like me and you have ADD or ADHD, that time, that deadline will help so much. And then we've got to break up our goals into small goals. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. A lot of us can be overeager and grandiose when it comes to resolutions. While we may have the best intentions, we can take on goals sometimes that are too big to achieve. So let's cut that and divide it into smaller goals that are more achievable. In looking at all of this, being very specific, seeing our motivation, being realistic, I think probably the most important aspect of a New Year's resolution is that we have got to write down our goals. They're easy to forget. It may seem crazy, but we can easily get distracted and get forgetful as to what we want to do. And writing down those resolutions help you clarify what it is that you want to achieve. It literally forces you to make decisions and be precise with your words. So we need to write them down. Documented goals will help you overcome resistance to progress. Uh, we set goals to move forward, but there's a natural resistance to change. But those written down goals will help you to move forward when you don't want to. Also within writing down your goals, you have a constant reminder of how far you've come and what you've achieved. And so we can take those achievements and build on them, knowing that we're going to make it. Look at how far we've come now. What can we do? How can we see these things and build upon those? Whether it's you write them in a journal, whether you send yourself an email, whether you put it in your notes in your phone, or if you print it and tape it on the wall, and that's what I have to do. I have to be able to see it every single day. Then finally, share your goals with other people. Share your goals with other people. And you say, well, wh why, why do I need to do that? Well, because then you can have some accountability. Now, that accountability cannot be your only drive for that goal, but that accountability will help you stay on track. It'll help you to move forward. There was that quote, if a tree falls in the forest and no one's around to hear it, does it make a sound? As, as weird as it sounds, the sense of guilt of not moving forward is often more powerful than self-motivation. So then when you do succeed, these people that you have shared with will celebrate with you. So make sure that you find people to share with that are familiar or they want you to succeed. 
and have accountability. Meet and talk about your goals, text about your goals, whatever it may be. But also share your setbacks. Share your progress. And stay motivated. Now, another way to achieve the same result is to make a Facebook post or an Instagram post declaring your intentions to all of your friends. And you can bet people will cheer you on and ask you about your progress over the course of the year. Now, the top three New Year's resolutions fall into different categories. And they just so happen to all start with F. Reminds me of the three F's of conflict resolution, feel, felt, found. I understand how you feel. I can see how I could have felt that way, but what I have found is you're angry at me. I understand how you feel. I felt that way towards you sometimes. But what I've found, if we can just sit down, we can talk this out. Typically, we can come to a compromise and a resolution that is good for both of us. Feel, felt, found. So the three F's of New Year's resolutions revolve rather around the three F's, fitness, finance, and faith. So I'm going to have a couple of guests here, and we're going to talk just a few minutes about how to achieve those goals, how to set out on those goals uh, when it comes to fitness, finance, and faith. One of the biggest uh, New Year's resolutions that most Americans have evolve around fitness. And so I've got Matt Collins here from all the way from San Diego, California. So if he sounds like he's a far way off, it's because he's a far way off. But he's with the <laughs> Fitness Accelerator, and he is a certified personal trainer. Matt, it's good to have you with us today. Thanks for having me. So somebody who has a New Year's resolution to get fit or to be more healthy where would they begin? So, I mean, there's, there's many avenues, right? You could you could go on the social media and just start to look at, you know, fitness influencers and try to learn exercises and stuff like that. Typically, that's what everybody does, and, and most people fail. These days, there's there's really no shortage of information, but there's a really big shortage of the ability to uh, implement, and implementation is just really not there anymore. So, so what I would suggest for people who are trying to get going with their goals in terms of their uh, New Year's re resolutions for fitness, I would try to look for accountability and support rather than information. You know, you can, you can Google anything these days, but it really doesn't matter if you're not gonna implement it. So whether that's someone like uh, with your spouse, or your partner uh, holding you accountable, whether that's a workout partner that can meet you at the gym, whether that's going to something like Orange Theory where you're scheduled, uh, like you have a, a scheduled time, or whether that's a personal trainer or a coach that you hire. Either way, try to set something up where you're held accountable, and that way you really get towards that goal. So what about people who, let's say for me, who feel very intimidated by going to the gym? How do you cross that barrier? Well, personally, I, I work with a lot of people in my, in my coaching program who work out at home and feel that exact same way. So I help them organize things that are at their house, um, whether that's investing in some equipment, like some dumbbells and some bands and things like that. Or you can just get some, some stuff done with body weight. And honestly, if you're trying to change your physique, nutrition is going to be the number one thing that's going to actually change that. So looking into um, healthier eating and again, they're being held accountable in some way as well. Sure. So uh, accountability is, is such a huge thing to any goal that we have. But what about sometimes I think people set too big of goals? 
you know, somebody might say, hey, I'm going to lose 75 pounds this year. And while that could be an attainable goal for that person, it's not always an attainable goal for, for anyone. So how do we know what kind of goals to set? Yeah, so there's a, an acronym called SMART for SMART goals. So specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely. So you need to, you want to shoot for the stars for sure. You want to have, uh, have like these grandiose goals, but something that's obviously attainable. So say you're 100 pounds overweight and you want to lose, you know, 100 pounds in a few months, it's probably not going to happen. And even if it did, it'll be very unhealthy. So definitely want to start with some baby steps and kind of break it down. So say you have 100 pounds to lose, for instance, kind of break that into chunks and then and make that into smaller goals, just like anything else in life. Kind sure. Of chip away at the bit. Yeah. So, so I, I hear from you uh, and I've heard before that nutrition, uh, what we eat is about 85% of any fitness goal and the other is exercise. So with nutrition being such a huge denominator here, how do we start? Because, uh, you know, most people, they go on a diet and they quit within a couple of days. Uh, what I have told people is you can't go on a diet. You have to go into a lifestyle change. So how do you navigate that? So I'm a big fan of balance and, and doing things that are sustainable and enjoyable. If you don't like it, you're probably not going to do it for very long. So if you're just eating, you know, steamed broccoli and boiled chicken, they're going to hate it and you're not going to do it. It might last a couple of days, right? So I'm a big fan of, uh, of the 80-20 rule or the 90-10 rule if you want to be a little more strict. So 80 or 90% of the time, have that time be very, very strict and, and intentional and going towards your goal. And then 10 to 20% uh, intentionally enjoy your life. So if you want to have a burrito or you want to go out for drinks with your friends or enjoy your holidays, do that. Don't feel bad about it, but bounce back immediately after that and get back to your goal uh, right after that. Sure. And so uh, being in the South here, fast food is everything to us. How do we keep our goals in mind fitness-wise to resist those type of temptations? Yeah, I mean, it's funny. When, when you uh, reached out to me today, I, I, I just got him back from McDonald's. So I think that, again, uh, balance is crucial in order for long-term success to be there. But at the end of the day, you need to really prioritize your goals and ask yourself how important that goal is to you. And then revert back to the 80-20 rule, the 90-10 rule of I'm going to spend this 10% on McDonald's or whatever you guys have around you. Enjoy it. Don't feel bad about it. But again, go back to getting groceries at home, prioritizing real whole foods, a lot of protein and different kinds of animal meats. Or, or you can go the vegetarian route if, if you're um, not eating meat these days. Um, but then the rest of your meals should be prioritized with vegetables, fruits, grains like rice and quinoa and that kind of thing. But there's a bunch of ways you can make those things tasty, spices and different flavorings and that kind of thing. So if somebody wanted to start with a personal trainer, is that something they could really go to any gym to find or should they really try to find an independent person that already has a plan in place and try to tailor that plan to you before you ever start? Yeah, well, regardless of where you go, what you just said needs to be there for sure. So you need to have someone that's making a plan specifically for you. You need to have a consultation with that person and make sure that they know exactly what your goals are, see what their um, their background is, see what their experience is. And I'm a big fan of just investing in something that works and something that's um, that's real. You know, there's a lot of there's really a low barrier of entry to personal training. Anybody can be one, and you don't need to have that much experience to to act like you do know what you're doing. Sure. So do your due, due diligence and make sure that that person has some experience and has your um, your goals in mind, and then uh, go from there and see how it goes. 
All right. Well, Matt, I appreciate you taking a few minutes of your day to to give us some tips here. And uh, I'll make sure to put all of your information in our uh, uh, description of this podcast so people can reach out to you if, if they'd like. Thank you so much, man. It's been a pleasure. All right. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Another one of our New Year's resolutions uh, typically evolves around faith. And so I have with me Jordan, too. He's the assistant to the executive director at Baptist Publishing House. Uh, they're in, I believe it's Jacksonville, Texas. Is that where you're at? Yes. Yes. And so, Jordan, what are some practical ways to really get into our our resolutions around faith as far as maybe reading your Bible more, attending church, uh, praying more? What are, what are some ways we can achieve those goals? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's something that all Christians really wrestle with this time of year. I know personally, I'm looking at the business of Christmas and uh, I'm having to talk to the Lord about my lack of discipline with Bible reading and prayer. It seems that I've just been so busy, ironically, celebrating his birth <laughs> that I've uh, have really not spent the time with him that I should. And so uh, whatever, whatever I share with y'all today is really, you know, I'm there with you trying to always do better and improve. Some things that I think would be helpful as we're looking to the new year, we're trying to figure out, okay, how do I improve? How do I uh, spend more time with the Lord, prayer, Bible study, and and really those those goals for our faith? Um, I, I think this is very obvious, but it's not so easily done. Obviously, if you want to improve your relationship with the Lord, if you want to uh, improve your spiritual life, I mean, it comes down to, yes, we want to pray more. Yes, we want to read the Bible more. Uh, certainly want to be more faithful with church attendance, but how do you do that? And I think one of the mistakes that we make so often is starting off the new year with these big plans that I'm going to read the whole Bible. I've never been the guy who can say, okay, give me a chart and I'm going to read this every day and, you know, stick with it. I, I, I'm just not that guy. I never have been. So I feel for the people like me who say, okay, I want to do better, but I always seem to stumble and mess up. Same thing with prayer. We have these grand ideas about prayer that, you know, I'm going to wake up at five in the morning and pray for three hours straight before I go to work. And we read about people in history who've done things like that. And we think, wow, if I could be more of a man of prayer or a woman of prayer, let, let, let me encourage you with some practical things. First of all, we don't do these things on our own strength. I think it's important to remember that naturally we are always fighting against the flesh. We're always fighting against the urgency to do something else. And even the disciples wrestle with this at times. I think the most faithful men and women of God over the years have uh, had to make this a point of discipline where they came to a point in their lives to realize it's not natural to just wake up and pray. It's not natural to just pick up your Bible and read through Ezekiel and like it's no big deal. I've been a Christian for you know a long time now, most of my life, and it's still difficult to pick up some of those parts of the Bible and just say, "I want to read through this," and and or, or, or I'm going to spend that time in prayer. And so, what I've really learned over the years in my relationship with the Lord is that He has to help me do those things, and there's no shame in that. There's also no shame in asking the Lord for ongoing help because. I think about the Bible verse that says, he knows our frame. He knows that we are but dust. 
God knows my weaknesses. God knows that I fall asleep sometimes when I pray or that when I'm reading the Bible, my mind wanders to something that happened five years ago. <laughs> so I think our tendency is to beat ourselves up, to get into it for a week or two, and then we start to see our passion, our zeal wane. And we find ourselves really beating ourselves up and thinking that God's mad at us. I know for me, I've struggled with that over the years. Uh, for some reason, the way I am, I'm, I'm, I'm a people pleaser. I have to fight that tendency. And I, I, that translates to my relationship with God. And I've always had to be careful to realize God loves me in spite of myself, not because of my performance. And so I would encourage anyone who is setting those goals. And there's nothing wrong with setting goals. I think it's good and it's healthy. But to understand that God is patient with you when you don't meet the goals and that God will help you through the times where you may get off the track a little bit. That's not a reason to quit. That's not a reason to throw in the towel. Now, something that's, I think, the most practical thing that anybody could do. So anyone who's listening to this, I think this will help you the most. And uh, it's nothing really new. It's nothing groundbreaking. But it is to become involved heavily with your local church. The reason for that, I say, is that you need other people to help you out. You need somebody praying for you. You need to be sitting under the ministry of the word. If your church is not preaching the word of God, you know, unapologetically with love and grace and with a clear devotion to the scripture, the authority of scriptures, then you may need to find a different church. But if you're part of a church that's doing that, you really need to be there. Uh, you need to be feeding upon God's word, fellowshipping with other believers, uh, serving God and serving other people together. And I think one of the reasons we feel so isolated today, even as believers, you know, we oftentimes hear the world say, well, everyone's so isolated, yet we're on social media and we're more connected than ever. Everyone's so lonely. Depression is up. Uh, anxiety is up. And that's true. I mean, we certainly see that. But we also see that translate into the church. And I think the main reason is we have forgotten how important a local church is. Uh, I'm 32, and most of my life I've heard people tell me, kind of in the culture, you know, kind of you read things, articles, and you kind of pick up on this anti-church idea that, yeah, church is great. Uh, go to church if you can, but it's not necessary. I, I, I would really beg to differ. I think church is necessary because God put it together. God knows that we need each other. And so I, I would tend to think a lot of the problems that we're running into uh, in our spiritual life today as believers is that we have so often heard uh, it's legalism to say you have to be at church on Sunday. Yeah, I think it can become legalistic if you're just going to go. Uh, you're just going through the motions and it's just something, it's just a tradition and that's it. But there's also a huge danger in neglecting it and saying, well, it's optional. You need it. The one who suffers the most from you not going to church is yourself. And so I think that if you're going to find yourself in a position these last few weeks of the year, last few days now, uh, you're looking at a New Year's resolution, perhaps, of trying to improve your spiritual health. That's not something you're called to do alone. And I think in, you know, in the book of Hebrews, we're told not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. The interesting thing about that is at the end of that passage, we're supposed to be getting together and encouraging each other and doing all those things more as the end draws near, as the day approaches. And so we don't need less church in these days. We need more. 
We don't need less fellowship with believers, less preaching, less singing praises to God. We need more of those things. And I guarantee you, and I don't like to just make promises, but I think that this is just so clearly biblical. It's God's promise, not mine. I, I'll guarantee you, if you become a, a, a integral part, a committed member of your local church, your spiritual life will improve. I, I, I just think it will. In fact, I know it will. I, I state my claim on that because that's Jesus's plan for every believer. And so that's what I would say. So two things that I thought of while you were saying that is, uh, as a pastor, I have the very unpopular opinion, uh, as you, as you talked about Hebrews 10, 25, forsake not the assembling, uh, of yourselves together for it is edification of the saints, blah, 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 blah. And then when you pair that with James four seventeen, where it says knowing to do good and not doing it is sin, uh, I have the very unpopular opinion of saying that as a Christian, if we do not go to church, it is sin because we are we are told not to forsake. But in the bigger picture, uh, with any goal, we have to have that accountability. And the best place to get accountability within our faith is the local church. That's correct. And that's all Jesus gave us. I, I don't want to chase a rabbit here, but, you know, Jesus didn't give us all this other stuff. He instituted the local church. He gave us this structure, uh, this people, and we're looking for the next big thing, it seems, all the time. You know, what's this new app? What's this new Bible study? What's this new ministry or program? Hey, just get back to the local church. And uh, that's what God gave us. And if it's good enough for Jesus, uh, it ought to be good enough for us. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jordan, I appreciate you uh, taking time uh, with us today to talk about resolutions within our faith. And uh, Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year. Thank you so much for having me. God bless you. Thank you. So one New Year's resolution that a lot of people have is finance. And I'm not equipped to talk professionally about finance. So I have Victor Worley here with me from Pinnacle Advisors here in uh, the metro area. And so, Victor, it's good to have you with us this morning. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So New Year's resolutions, finance. What is really the first thing that we need to look at when it comes to finance and and goals? I think the first thing is having a realistic assessment of of where you are. I think a lot of people tend to have a lot of good intentions, but they're not as intentional with with what they do. And so a lot of folks don't realize maybe um, how much debt they have or what their spending is relative to their income. There are a lot of tools and resources out there that are totally free that are very useful with that. There's a website owned by Intuit. Uh, it's called mint.com. Incredibly useful tool. It's free to use. Obviously, you're going to have ads and things in there, but it's a really good tool for assessing what your net worth is, what your cash flow looks like, but it's also a very good budgeting tool. So that's really the first thing. It's just an honest assessment of, of where you are right now. Yeah, I used Mint for a while and I, it, it triggered PTSD and anxiety and all that kind of stuff. So, <laughs> but, but I was yeah. surprised at how much we were spending just on eating out. Yep. And, and it really did open our eyes to where our money was going. So that would Mint, uh, talking about Mint leads us kind of into budgeting. How should we look at our budget in a way that, works for us? Uh, you know, how much do we need to try to save each month? How do we need to 
try to bring that all together? That's a great question. So budgeting is one of those um, words that can can bring up lots of emotions and things, sort of like dieting, right? Mm-hmm. It's neither yeah. one of them is fun to do, but and uh, like uh, like dieting or, or like losing weight, you've got to you got to turn it into a habit. It can't be something that you just do for two months and then drop. As far as as budgeting goes, you need to look at every every category you spend money in as a, as a percentage of your income. That's that's first and foremost. Uh, for instance, your your housing expense shouldn't exceed somewhere around twenty five to thirty percent of your of your income. As far as savings goes, savings, ideally, if I can get a client to to put 15% of their income away, that is ideal. Now, that usually takes some time. Usually when we're working with a client, oftentimes their savings is at zero because they're they're just, you know, cash in, cash out. That's pretty normal. And what we first want to do is we want to try to we want to try to gradually work down those those categories that are that that you have some some wiggle room. For instance, eating out is a great example. Let's cut back on eating out. Let's cut back on maybe some shopping or some ancillary spending to try to get some freedom in the budget to start saving. You know, the average American has essentially no savings, and and that is that that's a, a fertile ground for a lot of heartaches and a lot of problems. Sure. Uh, I read a statistic one time that it was like 80% of Americans have less than $500 in savings. Yep. So uh, my my last question here would be a lot of times when, you know, the first year, February, March, we start getting tax returns mm-hmm. and some people get a, a substantial amount of of money on, on EIC. Mm-hmm. What I do is I try to put at least half of that into some type of CD every year and then consolidate CDs when they mature. Is that really a good plan as far as trying to save money, trying to invest to a point, or is there a different different avenue that you would suggest? Yeah, I think that there's a conversation to be had about any specific type of, of investment or savings vehicle. You can get caught up in the weeds of comparing maybe a CD to a traditional savings account or to an investment account. But I, I think that's losing the point. I think any savings is good savings. I think the fact that that you are taking that money and putting it away somewhere rather than uh, running straight to uh, Walmart or Target with it, it, that's the most important thing. And so if more people could develop that habit of savings and be intentional with it, that's 80% of the battle. Then we can start to debate on, okay, what's the most efficient place to put that money and, and how do we do it? But, but you know, I think that's a great strategy. I think saving money, when you get a windfall, like a tax return, looking at any, any unnecessary you know, debts, high interest credit cards and things that you might want to attack with that, that's a good idea. But if you're going to do that, you got to make sure that you have fixed whatever problem or whatever lack of discipline that caused that credit card to run up a balance in the first place. Otherwise, you're just spinning your wheels. Yeah, I think the the moral of the story is be disciplined, be intentional, save your money, and everything kind of becomes a lot easier from there. Sure. Now, one thing that I have done when I was in a, you know, absolute pinch is I will put that money 
it, for say I have I have a high interest credit card or I have uh, some bad debt or I need substantial amount of maintenance, whether it be to my home or my vehicle, what I have done is taken, for instance, that tax return, put it in a CD and then loaned against that with a secure loan and taken on that debt because you're getting interest. I mean, you're earning and you're losing at the same time, but you're not losing what you would lose traditionally in, in a personal loan. Yep. And then made sure that I could pay myself back that money over 12 months. So at the end of that 12 months, when I go to reinvest, I have it there. Is that a good strategy when it comes to additional debt? It can be, especially if you have a situation where the debt exceeds the cash on hand and you're just trying to sort of arbitrage, which is a silly buzzword. It means that you're just sort of moving the debt around a little bit to try to reduce your interest rates. That can be a good strategy. Obviously, it's not as good as just paying it off and never running that debt up again. But sure. again, a lot of times we have an ideal uh, of where we're trying to get. We're trying to get to that 15% savings rate and, and, it, and it takes time to get there. And sometimes you got to take a few intermediate steps to get where you're trying to go. So yes, I think that can be a good strategy. Taking debt from a 20% interest rate to a 5% interest rate obviously is a good thing. But again, I would say that the, the most important part of that is correcting the, the lack of discipline or, or the, the spending habits that got that debt to, to the point where it was in the first place. Sure. So if you have a credit card with, with a, you know, a fairly low balance, let's say $2,000, mm-hmm. you're looking at four to five years to pay it off at the minimum payment. Yeah. And so that, that really adds up when you, when you begin to look. Yeah. Yeah. I would tell you it is incredibly dangerous to start thinking of credit cards in terms of their minimum payments. That is a recipe for a disaster. There are some people who believe, uh, some very well-known financial commentators who will tell you that you should cut up every credit card and you should never, ever have a credit card. I don't necessarily agree with that. I, I use the analogy, credit cards are sort of like chainsaws. They can be incredibly useful tools in the right situation. But you have to understand what they are, because if you're not careful, uh, you can hurt yourself really badly. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, Victor, I appreciate you taking time this morning to, to yeah. give us a little insight. Absolutely. And we'll, we'll make sure to put all of your contact information in the uh, description of this podcast so that people can find you. Sounds great. I all appreciate right. it. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Have a good day. You too. And that is our show for today. Of course, I'm Doc Brian. You can find me at thedocbrian.com. All of my social media links are there at the bottom of that page. And Doc Talks is a part of the Be Frank Network. Check out all of our wonderful podcasts at befranknetwork.com. I want to remind you as, as we leave here today, and as we move into this new year, we're going to get knocked down. We're going to have troubles. We're going to have trials. But if we stay focused... We can have great success and find happiness in everything that we do. I want to remind you that it's okay to not be okay. You've probably heard me say before, however you feel, it's okay to feel that way. Just don't unpack and live there. Write your goals down, read them every day, and remember, you will be okay. Okay.